Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. My name is Scott Challoner and you join us on another clear day here in the capital as once again we bring together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First and foremost on today's programme, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul McKeldon. Paul is the director of clubfacegolf.com, a business that aims to change how social networks can benefit business while respecting the digital value you of the users. Paul, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. It's a real pleasure having you with us, Paul. Um, the reason we're here, of course, is to discuss your take on leadership and really bring that into focus. But most notably, I think that this generation of business leaders are probably going through one of the greatest challenges of our time. I think it's fair to say with the emergence of COVID-19 over the course of 2020. Um, it would be remiss of me, therefore, not to ask you just to what extent the pandemic has affected you and your business operations. Okay, well, um, ironically, and sometimes I feel uh, a bit guilty saying this, but for, for our business and our business model, um, the pandemic has had a, a positive effect. Mm. Um, as, as you mentioned in the introduction, we're a, a social network for golf. So whilst golfers haven't been able to get out and play, um, they have been able to get online and communicate and, and, and talk to each other. Um, as a business, uh, that's, that's, so that's for the, for the model side of it, but as a business, we've just been very, very flexible with all of our staff and colleagues. Um, I think we have to understand that this is such confusing time for everyone. You know, the message coming from the messages coming from everywhere are very confusing. So, as a business owner, you know, we sort of took the decision to leave the responsibility of how people want to react to themselves. So, a lot of our guys, you know, have, have worked from home; they're still working from home, and and you know, I suspect we will do that for for quite some time. Um, I come into the office just because the, the, the office is empty, everyone working from home. But because we're an online business, it, it's actually quite easy for us to still operate. That's certainly positive uh, to hear. Um, and I think those businesses that have been flexible in that sense have really been able to reap some benefits from this time because it's been a much more seamless transition toward the remote working yep. side of things. And although, as you say, um, there will inevitably be a point where golfers can venture back outdoors and sort of go back to the courses, this mm. period is going to mean that they're not going to necessarily lose sight of what got them through this period in the first place, which is the ability to socialize with other golfers on the network yep. that you've put together so that's going to be really beneficial going forward well yeah i, I mean we we really believe that and and i, and I think what was happening certainly the, the more people the more time people are spending at home and the more time they're spending online they're starting to understand the value of their digital presence um, and they're starting to allocate more of that time into places that are equally respectful of their digital presence um you know i, I think during this, this whole episode this whole pandemic episode what we have to understand is is our staff are really the lifeblood of our business and we have to be you know certainly certainly respectful of mental health issues and, and what effect it's having you know the fact that when people are working their children are still operating in the houses and uh, at their homes and what have you and and you know you just have to be extremely flexible and you, you know you, you know it's about being kind you know you know we we really work on a philosophy in our business of being kind and and you know, and, and that's allowing adults to make decisions for themselves. 
mental health really is important in leadership, isn't it? Not just, of course, in terms of safeguarding that of those around you, but also taking a little bit of time to sort of take stock and safeguard your own as a business leader as well. Because when a lot of people are looking to you for direction and reassurance during a time like this, it can often feel a little bit of a lonely place when there's not always a lot of information out there. Sometimes um, guidance can be a little bit sort of clouded. And ultimately, you're having to have one or two quite sort of challenging discussions with people amid all of the wor- the worry and the uncertainty of course and 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 you know we're very fortunate as a business where we haven't had to utilize any of the furlough schemes or or anything like that we we've we've avoided you know the, the tough discussions and you know we you know we're a small enterprise um and that there are business leaders out there for, from bigger operations who are having to make some really really tough decisions um based on factors that were totally beyond their control um, but I think it's all about uh, message and delivery as well, isn't it? You know, if you're if you're communicating well with your your colleagues and your staff and and what have you, and you're keeping them up to speed, the worst thing is when sometimes totally out of the blue, I think for these people, and that's where you can really have an impact, a, you know, a negative impact. So open dialogue, open communication, be respectful, be mindful, and I think if you can do that as a business leader, you're probably halfway there to to, to getting the job done properly. And when you're in a leadership role, when sort of people are looking to you for that inspiration and direction, and then in your case, there's nobody above you to refer to, where mm-hmm. is it that you tend to draw sort of that inspiration from for yourself as and when you need it? Yes, yeah, so I'm very fortunate. Uh, my, my brother owns um, quite a large business and, and two of the other directors of Club Face Golf also own other businesses. So we have a lot of experience in, in business management, business ownership. So we just keep the channels of communication open. Um, you know, I do look online for resources, you know, and, and one of the things you said earlier, which is really um, a, a very important point to listen to, is just because you're being conscious of everybody else's mental health doesn't mean you should neglect your own. So, you know, it's changing habits, being more mindful of your, you know, of the work that you're doing and the pressures you're putting on yourself. Um, but really, it's just for me. It's all about communication and dialogue, and you know, asking questions that sometimes you don't want to hear the answers to, um, but the answers are what you really need to do. So it's all dialogue for me. It's, it's all about communication. And considering that those qualities have held you in good stead, and you've stood up quite well during the pandemic thus far, would you say that there is anything that this experience of the, uh, during the last few months has perhaps taught you in a business leadership capacity? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think um, sort of in a crisis management type role, um, you know, trying to prepare for the unexpected. I mean, I don't know how you do this, sort of a contradiction in terms, but be prepared that the unexpected does happen. Um, you know, we were ticking along nicely. We were growing at a nice pace. Ironically, like I said, for us, we, we, we went from, we've increased our users on the platform um, 700 fold in the last three months. Um, and we always knew that was going to happen at some stage. But then making sure that our server guys and our developers and, you know, that, that these are all outsourced roles, that they were managing their businesses properly to be able to cope with the growth that we're, we're getting. So, yeah, it's about having a, a proper plan in place to prepare for the, un, for, for the unexpected. Um, and I don't think we were really doing that properly beforehand. And I think any business that doesn't take that lesson away from this whole experience um, is, is being naive to themselves. It's about taking proactivity and then balancing that with the ability to be reactive as well, isn't it? You can't really have 
more of one um, or the other in this instance. It has to be sort of an amalgamation of the uh, the two for sure. Um, since we've already touched on mental health just a little bit earlier in the, uh, the discussion, Paul, when you know on the horizon that there is going to be a business challenge, whether that's with maybe a few days notice or a few weeks or months in advance that you know about it, how is it that you tend to sort of mentally prepare yourself for dealing with a major challenge? Well, what, what I try to do, I, I, I tr- try to deal with issues immediately that they appear. I think if you allow your inbox to fill up, if you allow your missed calls and callbacks to, to grow, and, and that's really going to cause you problems. So I try to be as proactive. I mean, it, it's quite nice now, and I think our staff are finding this as well. There is no structured day to working. So people might be doing a couple of hours in the morning, a couple of hours in the afternoon, um, maybe an hour or so in the evening. Um, and they're spreading their time so that they're, they're actually freeing themselves up more. But for me personally, it's all about structure. It's all about deal with the issues as they happen. Don't think I'll, I'll deal with part of the issue and then I'll jump into something else and come back to it. Because what I find is you never ever come back to it. Deal with it, get it cleared, get it sorted, move on to the next. Mm. So taking things as and when they come is one huge piece of advice that any of the future generation of emerging business leaders could look to really heed who are tuning into this today. But if you had to give um, any other advice to that generation of people who are perhaps looking to make it in business, Paul, what other advice would you perhaps give them to stick by? I think if you've had the faith and trust in yourself to take yourself to the point where you are going to start or lead a business, then you have to trust in yourself. Trust that your judgments are right. Trust that your judgments are are, are very, 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 very rarely going to massively harm your business. Um, so, so have trust and faith in yourself. Really you know, push yourself and, and, and don't question your own decisions. Instinct is a huge thing in business because quite often we have to react immediately. Go with your instincts, go with your trust, but be prepared. Be prepared. Know, know what you're doing. Know where you're trying to get to. Have an end point, um, an exit strategy, an end game for whatever scenario. That doesn't mean an end game for your business. It means an end game for the solution that you're trying to find. Stick to it, stick with your instincts and trust your judgment. I think that's incredibly sound advice um, indeed there, Paul. Of course, we all know, as this pandemic experience has taught us as well, that hindsight is also a very wonderful thing. So reflecting on that for a moment, if you could perhaps go back 10 years and maybe sort of do anything differently leading the business going forward, is there anything that you would change in terms of what you've done? Um, do you know, I'm, I'm sure there are, uh, you know, you know, I think we're still in the middle of this. So hindsight, hindsight's a a hard thing to, to put your finger on at the moment. But I think, um, delegating more, trusting the people around you more to be able to make their own decisions. Now that we're not, now that we're not all sat in an office together where somebody can shout something over a desk and say, oh, what what should I do about this? Trust them to make those decisions and have faith in them. And even when they make bad decisions, Back them up. Back them up. Your, your, your staff are the absolute backbone of any business, whether you're manufacturing, servicing, whatever type of business you are, your staff and your colleagues are the people who, who will take the business to the next level. So trust them, have faith in them, allow them, give them space to make decisions and grow. It's trust so and allowing probably. them. Mm. It's trust certainly, isn't it, Paul, in the sense of allowing them to learn for themselves, isn't it? Because without yeah. that experience of having a setback or two, and learning from that. We can't really hope to develop at all, can we? But also encourage them. Encourage them to have the, the, the trust in their own decisions, in, the, in, in their own abilities. You know, there's too many, you know, business managers who are micromanaging the staff and, you know, that critical things might need to happen. 
um, and you need to have the faith in the people. I always use the example, you know, I think Alan Sugar's an incredible businessman, but I'm sure he doesn't raise his invoices every month. He uses an expert in accounts to do that for him. Well, allow them to do it. Give them, give them the role, give them the job and allow them to do that job. And having reflected on all of that, Paul, I think it only serves that we address what is to come before we do wrap things up on the uh, the programme today. Yeah. Uh, we know over the course of the next 12 to 18 months that we are going to have to adjust to a new way of living and working until we sort of shake off the shackles of COVID-19, as it were. And yeah. during that period of time, as we grapple with the new normal, what is next for you and for your business? And what do you really hope to achieve? Okay, so so next for our business, I mean, is the continued growth of the user base um, and the user experience on the platform. But we're also now commercializing the business, so we're now accepting advertising. One of the tough things about what's going on um, at the moment with all this COVID-19 is how do we go about interviewing people? So, you know, quite often when we interview people, we like to see the whites of their eyes and, you know, we can tell a lot about people when they come into an office to have a conversation. And that just can't happen at the moment. So the whole recruitment process is having to change. Um, of course, we can do it over Zoom and, and things like that. So again, a lot more trust is going to have to come in on your judgments, um, but you're going to have to judge people in a different way, if that makes sense. Mm, it certainly does, uh, Paul. I can certainly see where you're coming from uh, from that point of view. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, few months, I think it's fair to say, for yourself and for the business. And considering that there are still a great many variables in ultimately how the pandemic and the economic recovery are going to pan out, I actually think it would be really informative from a listener's perspective, especially to perhaps catch up and have you back on the uh, the programme in future just to see how things are getting on in a few months' time. And we can just reassess exactly where we're at at that point. Absolutely. I, I would really enjoy doing that. I mean, we're, we're, we are, you know, we're, we're optimistic, we're excited about the future, but we're also, you know, cautious about the impact that it's going to have on people and, and not just, you know, not just my guys in the office, my, my suppliers and my outsource guys and, and what have you. So, um, yeah, I would love to talk about this in a few months' time. And, you know, um, hopefully everyone will be in a much more positive um, frame of mind. Hopefully, you know, if, if vaccines and, and what have you are, are getting close to, to having then fingers crossed we can all we can all start moving forward but like you said before this is all about the lessons learned mm. um and and you know what lessons can we learn from this as a nation as a as a global uh, community if you like but as individual business owners as well Exactly right. It's going to be a very interesting uh, time going forward. And let's hope there will be some positive news uh, to share as well um, on the horizon. I have to say, Paul, it's been a real, real pleasure having you join us today. And most importantly, until we do hopefully touch base again on the programme, please do take care and stay safe with all still going on. I will do. Thank you very much indeed. It's been enjoyable talking to you too. That was Paul McKeldon speaking, director of clubfacegolf.com. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a FIFA World Cup, following his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 long years ago now. I hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff. And all of that is, of course, coming up next. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. 
Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is 
at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, 
with Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had the impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, 
Well, you want me to tell you if you want. You want. You got time? I can tell I you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing it at a dinner in, in the Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I had a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know, 
and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We have some great players, you... we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed... the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. 
And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.